I'm Larry Bishop, and you're listening to the World is Wrong podcast. We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about season two of the World, world is, is Wrong, wrong podcast. <laughs> Welcome to. The World is Wrong, an extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films and film artists the world is wrong about. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Andras Jones. And I'm also a host, and my name is Brian Connolly. <laughs> I got this nice... Uh, voice burn going on, and then you pulled a full full on Peter Brady. You're like, I am Brian Connell. Mm. <laughs> hey, I'm still growing up over here. You know, it's great. I <laughs> loved it. He, that was that was perfect comedy. That was Martin and Lewis level. That was good. That was really great. Uh, uh, welcome back, Brian. We're back. Yeah, you, we got you did some bonus interviews while I was gone. We. Uh, but it's good to be back. I, I'm excited. Like I, I needed a recharge. I took a break from all podcasting this summer, and um, never stopped watching movies. But I'm ready to talk about movies again. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm. I, I never stopped. I, I honestly, I feel like I spent a good chunk of the summer recording podcasts without recording them, just talking with people <laughs> about movies. I think now that a lot of the people I know know that I host this podcast. They're coming up to me and wanting to talk about movies they think the world is wrong about. And so, That's, have you been making a list? Is is there any any good pitches that you heard this mm. summer? Uh. <laughs> so we're doing the Flintstones movie. No. All right. Oh no. No. <laughs> no. You know, it's funny. A lot of people, and maybe this is a weakness on my part or aren't on our part as far as choosing them. A lot of people want to go to bat for episodes of blockbuster series that are not loved. Huh? Like what? So like, uh, Halloween three or no mm. Friday, the 13th three. I think it, I don't mm. see. I'm making the mistake that people do all the time. I have, I, this is the other thing that I spend a lot of time. I spent a lot of time with my family during the summer and with friends who, and most of the people I know don't follow horror films, but invariably someone will say when there's a new person, like, hey, did you know Andros is in, um, what was it, Friday the 13th? No, no, no. <laughs> and then I just Do they it. always go to that one first? Is that the always. first one that people it's go to? It's always the first one they go to. And then they guess Halloween. And then I'm like, let me just do it because this is too painful. Well, there, there are a lot of like we kind of avoided horror in general, other than Rontober, uh, because you don't like horror movies that much. Yeah. So like, I kind of purposely kind of haven't been picking them either, just because I figured you wouldn't have as much of an interest in watching them. But there are many within all those franchises. There definitely is always the sequel that is hated, but then has like the small group that loves that that hated sequel but it's not just in the horror genre yeah no yeah like any movie with the whole yeah like rocky five gets a lot of hate i was having i defended rocky five the other day because i really like rocky five but pretty much across the board most people hate rocky five which one's rocky five 
That's the one where it stars uh, the like the kind of young up and coming boxer, and he's got like the long kind of mullet, and it ends with the street fight. Uh huh. And like, and it's definitely the first one where Rocky's feeling like a little old and kind of trying to not be involved as much in boxing. He's kind of retired, and and like, I mean, I think a lot of people don't like it because it followed Rocky Four, which is so loved. Not by, by me. Not by me. It's my least favorite <laughs> but, Rocky movie. But. Rocky Five is just hated. People think it's boring. It's shit. They skip over it. I really like that one a lot. I'm also a defender of um, a lot. Actually, a lot of the Friday Thirteenth movies I'll defend. The ones that people hate, like Part Five. Nobody likes Part Five. That's the one where there's no Jason in it. I don't care. That movie's great. <laughs> what about J- Jurassic no. Park Three? Love. I love Jurassic Park Three. It's written by Alexander Payne. Okay. See, this is and so this it's is, really smart and it's really good. Up, yeah. And that's a that we could we could do a whole season of just sequels if we ever really wanted to. Like, there's enough because I think sequels people go in automatically wanting to hate it, or you're are definitely always going in comparing it to the thing before it, and it takes something like a Road Warrior, or um, like an Aliens to kind of rise above that where people can get equally excited about that over the first one because they have to make a sequel that's so different. But sometimes when people make sequels that are very different, nobody likes it. Like, uh, like Jason goes to hell Friday 13th part nine, very different. The other movies, not very liked. I think that movie's great. Or within the nightmare on Elm street, I think part five gets a lot of hate. And I think that's the dream child. And I think that's really good. Well, you know, I, I talked with my, uh, with my, nightmare sister lisa wilcox she definitely wants to do an episode about that someday so i'd be game because that's the one that people kind of skip over like i feel like the first four get love and then people really like six and seven but five for whatever reason doesn't sit well with people i don't know why because to me it's as good as the other ones and it's interesting it has great effects like there's a lot to love there mother's day 2022 Um. (laughs) <laughs> there you go done <laughs> well actually that's a that's a good segue into talking about just giving a little sneak peek at, at some of the films that you can expect us to be talking about in this upcoming season and we gotta we're, we 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 don't have the whole year planned out but we kind of have most of now through the end of 2021 so let's uh let's give the listeners some sense of what they can look forward to and what they should be preparing for. Like some of these films are harder to find than others. So you, you got to start your hunt now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we're going to be starting off next week. I guess we'll do it. I'll, we'll, I'll mention the films that I, that I'm picking. You mentioned the films that you're picking and then uh, sure. we'll share the guest episodes. So, uh, so yeah, so uh, we're starting off next week with Frank the film uh, from 2014 with Domin Hall Gleason and Michael Fassbender and Maggie Gyllenhaal and Scoot McNary. And it's uh, just an excellent film about a band. And it's, it, it turned out we've already recorded that episode. And I think it's one of our better ones. Then we'll be doing Wilder Napalm from 1993. The, uh, Vince Gilligan uh, script starring Dennis Quaid, Arliss Howard, and Deborah Winger. And it's a crazy fantasy comedy not to be missed. Oh, Jim Varney's in it. Oh, shit. 
That's exciting. <laughs> so you need to watch this movie. It's a crazy one, people, and it's time. And we're going to be following that up with a film called September 30, 1955 by the director James Bridges. And that episode is going to feature a guest host, Alex Simon, who was introduced to us by Stephen Peros, the author of The Cat's Meow. And that is an exciting, really beautiful film. Uh, September 30th, 1955 is the day James Dean died. And in terms of 1970s movies that had all this nostalgia for the 50s, I feel like this might be one of the raw and most beautiful or rawest and most beautiful of them. And uh, yeah, that's a that's a great one to check out and get ready for that episode coming out pretty close to September 30th, 1950, uh, 19, uh, sorry, September 30th. I got the wrong century and the wrong millennium. September 30th, <laughs> 2021. It's going to be coming out. So uh, get ready for that. Ow! <laughs> and then uh, I guess oh, you were waiting for me to pick this, say this one because I picked it. Uh, yeah. Then we yeah. move into Wrongtober, our, our, uh, sort of our All Hallows month where we explore horror films that are not horror films or films that people don't think of as horror films that are horror films. And we are starting off with Mike Nichols' film Wolf starring Jack Nicholson from 1994. And boy, that's a good one. Damn, oh, get yeah. ready, get ready. Just, oh, just get ready to get sniffed up by this film. It's so good. And then, well, they, t this t you talk about this next one. Uh, you haven't, uh, well, yeah, you, what's the next one we're going to do, Brian? And then we'll be doing Don's Plum, released in 2001, made a few years before that. The controversial, sort of never been released, banned from America film that stars Tobey Maguire and Leonardo DiCaprio, Kevin Connolly, and Jenny Lewis. So that's going to be exciting. And you're going to have some of the people who made that movie on as guests. Uh, Jerry, Me how do you say his last name? Jerry Metters, who is one of the producers, and Dale Wheatley, who is uh, one of the writers on the film. And who knows who we'll be able to find by the time we actually come out with the episode. I want to really dig into this one because I feel like it's a a horror film on two levels. One, because of the behavior that is laid bare in the film and then the other is the sort of hollywood horror story about the events surrounding the film so if you don't know about don's plum yet look it up do your research you can find versions of it out there and we'll yes. be talking about that in the month of wrongtober <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what is, what, what's your Wrongtober contribution, um, Brian? I picked the 1999 film Ravenous, which is very exciting, directed by Antonia Bird. And it's it's a weird, I mean, it's, it's perfect for Wrongtober because it's not quite a horror film. It's not quite an adventure. It's not quite a drama. It's not quite a comedy. It's sort of its own thing. Uh, and I love it. So I'm very excited to be talking about that. Yeah. Beautiful, strange, wonderful film. Check it out. Find it where you can. Not an easy film to find, but we know you can do it. We know that our listeners are intrepid, 
film <laughs> hunters. I was able to find it. I bet you can too. And that takes us into the month of wrong vember. <laughs> You're really milking it for all. <laughs> and, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, in wrong vember, we are. Uh, it's just November. In the the in November, we're going to be uh, looking, starting the month off with another guest host episode with your buddy Zach Carlson. I know that guy. Joining me to talk about a film called State of Grace from the director Phil Janua. Uh, Sean Penn, Gary Oldman, and Robin Wright, at that time Robin Wright Penn, a really beautiful and masterful crime thriller, crime drama, I guess, from 1990. Yeah, great film. And a great conversation with Zach Carlson. A lot of fun. And then I'm excited for us to be talking about Dune, but not the new one, David Lynch's version from 1984. Uh, I considered a huge failure and a big disappointment, but we're going to talk about it, how good it is. <laughs> and uh, just to be clear, although we, we try and be completist about this, uh, I, I, I'm not sure that either of us will have read all of the Dune books by the time we record that episode and it comes out. So if you're the kind of listener who's going to tune into that episode and be mad at us, for not having read all of the books. First of all, I understand, I sympathize, and there's not much we can do about it. So uh, I have no sympathy. Don't waste my time. <laughs> if you're listening to this and think that you would like to be included in that episode as our literary Dune expert, I will be glad to make the time to interview you, and you can correct all of our mistakes <laughs> and we'll actually include it in the episode. I feel like the Harkonnens would approve. That is a literary reference that I do not entirely understand, but I made it anyway. Fear is the mind killer, buddy. Fear is the mind killer. Okay. Uh, and then we're, my, uh, my film for that month is one of my favorites. It is going to be coming out in late November, right around Guilt Fast. It is Winter Kills, the gonzo sort of uber assassination thriller in the genre of assassination thrillers. It is probably my favorite. And uh, it's not, I don't know. I don't know how much the world is wrong about it. Uh, I don't hear enough people talk about how great it is. And so that's why we're going to be doing that one. You've seen that film before, right? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, and you love it. I don't love it, but I oh goddamn really, <laughs> but I really it's it's an interesting movie because it's so crazy. It's it's a movie that kind of goes all out. <laughs> okay, and another one where the tone is all over the place in a very thrilling way. So. Well, we're going to be following that up with what film, Brian? Don Juan de Marco with special guest Paul Williams, not whom... the songwriter. Or the rock critic or the architect. No, it's Paul Williams, the director of The November Men. And uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great film and a really excellent conversation. We've already recorded it. It's in the can, just waiting for you at the end of November. So stick around <laughs> for that. 
And we don't have our entire uh, month of December planned, but let's just say the two films that that we're choosing. Uh, yeah. I'll, it's, we're going to do a little Steven Spielberg Hanukkah double feature. Two of his most beloved films. No. Two of his <laughs> least beloved films. My choice is The Terminal. Oh, so good. Oh, I love that film. It's a beautiful little <laughs> film. And with uh, with a, a an under like a, a really underappreciated young actor named Tom Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's about time that we gave Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg their time to, for people to know who they are and give them credit for what they're doing. <laughs> but my choice, my the, the audacity of my choice pales in comparison <laughs> to the audacity of your choice. Really? Well, in well, the sense that this my... film is maligned, but it hasn't had time That's to true. build up the cult following that it will eventually yes. have. So my pick is Ready Player One. No. A movie, that no... <laughs> a movie that no one I know likes. I love it. And I loved it immediately while watching it. I was like, everyone's wrong. This movie's great. So, <laughs> so that will be coming out on right around the winter solstice, the darkest day of the year. <laughs> you can settle in and enjoy Brian's love. For the, I haven't seen it yet. I'm like, I'm, I'm excited. I'm you may hate it. it. I don't know. I don't know. There, I don't hate it's... many things, you know. <laughs> no, it's very, it's very good. It's very, very good. So I'm excited. I'm just excited whenever Steven, uh, whenever Steven Spielberg decides to make a movie that isn't him being like America's history teacher. That's... I agree. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I mean, I'll be on, and we'll talk about this when we do it, but like, I like the fourth Indiana Jones movie. I'm like the few, and you know, there's not a lot of people that like that movie. I like, love I always. Like, I think always I, me too. I love cool. always. I love hook. Like when he's just doing something fun and I haven't seen the BFG, but I bet I'll love it. And those to me are more exciting than any, you know, saving private Ryan. <laughs> so I'd rather watch Dustin Hoffman as Captain Hook. That to me is a great movie. So, well, yeah, I'm excited maybe this, for our maybe this will become a wrong Sember uh, tradition. We'll just every <laughs> Spielberg wrong... every. <laughs> it makes sense because it's like it's time for families to get together, and all families are avoiding these movies and watching the wrong ones. So we're gonna be like, no, no, no. These are the Spielberg movies you need to be watching as a family during Christmas time and Hanukkah and the solstice and all that. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, that, so that's not the entire schedule. There's going to be a couple of extra ones in there, but those are the ones that are confirmed. That's exciting, though. It's like an yeah. exciting lineup. A very a good variety of things. Very different. No movies alike. Yeah. In that. <laughs> Wildly diverse. Wildly diverse. Like. Yeah. So uh, so that's what you have to look look forward to in the for the rest of, of 2021 from The World is Wrong. And if you remember... In our season one wrap-up, we invited <laughs> people to send us letters and uh, correspondences, and a couple of you did. Uh, I don't think either was in response to our invitation, though. I think these were strangely <laughs> just sort of unbidden. It just synchronistically, it, these landed on in our inbox, and um, so I, we'll, we'll, we're going to read them now for, for, for you to, yeah. to check out. Let's do it. <clears throat> yeah. So... I'll start, okay? Yeah. Okay, so this first one comes from Zane. And 
Well, it starts off with a long paragraph talking about how much she loved our Brown Bunny episode and how insightful we were and just how, how wonderful he thinks the podcast is. But if I read it all, it would be too embarrassing. So we're just going to cut, <laughs> cut to the Embarrassing for us. Embarrassing for us. Yes. And probably we... embarrassing for you to listen to us reading this and being like, that's, <laughs> that's awkward. Um, <clears throat> so l- let's just cut to where he's talking about Brown Bunny, where Zane says... I first saw Brown Bunny a couple of years ago after Buffalo 66 totally blew my mind. When I saw Brown Bunny, I had faith that Gallo wouldn't release something meritless, but I had a tough time reconciling all the hearsay I'd heard surrounding the film. I then managed to find Gallo's director commentary, which he actually shared with us, which was amazing, his commentary on the film on some really sketchy Chinese MP3 website and managed to sync it with my copy. Rewatching the film with that commentary to this day has got to be one of the most significant experiences of my life. Gallo explicitly lays out his entire artistic ethos and intentions with Brown Bunny and his other work in such a passionate, articulate way that it's directly influenced my perspective on art and productivity since. I have to push against the notion—oh, this is, this is where he's actually giving us some crit- uh, criticism. He says, I have to push against the notion that it's quite as frivolous as is implied in the podcast, since Gallo has some monologues in there that go incredibly deep. If you're ever compelled to check it out, please let me know so I can send it to you. And that's talking about the, uh, the director's commentary, which he did send to us. And it's pretty amazing. Now, Brian, what do you think about this this uh, suggestion that we may have taken this film too lightly? <laughs> I think he's referring to the commentary track, is what he's saying, is that we took it, that the commentary track was too taken too lightly. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to review a whole commentary track. I think we talked, I made jokes and talked about how he's selling his jacket and things, which he is. <laughs> But yes, it is. I agree with him. That is a very great commentary. He does get very deep, and it is very insightful. But let me fail to mention that part of it. And also, I think it's just it's something I think about sometimes when I'm editing the show. Is that sometimes we're we're talking about films that are about deep and profound things, sometimes very dark and unpleasant things, and at the same time, you and I enjoy talking about movies with each other and so we'll be laughing through talking about material that it may seem incongruous to the listener like well this is really you know are you making fun of the director or are you making fun of the situation and i i i'm pretty sure in most cases that's not what our intention is not to mock or belittle but to recognize the absurdity of things in movies <laughs> and also just to reveal w- ourselves. Like, so if the, the laughter is a lot of times, I think I like I, with, with Vincent Gallo, it is hard because he, he, he can be so intense and unpleasant in terms of his personal and political life, his p- public political life that it's a little bit, it it's a little bit funny and absurd to be championing someone who would never champion us not even that <laughs> he would probably kick you know you know you'd like to see us kicked out of a moving car or something uh you know like even that like we're laughing at this because it's absurd but 
the, the it, we don't laugh at the quality of the film or the and we certainly don't laugh at you know anyone's enjoyment of the film uh, and also i think that's just how we talk about everything we we are never i don't think there's a conversation we have about anything where we're not laughing about something like we are yeah we're serious about what we like in terms of the detail and the the you know the attention we try to give it but we definitely are more relaxed and fun loving in our conversations about it just because it's our personalities so. Yes, but I I, yeah. <laughs> I want to say that Zane did end uh, with a with a nice P, uh, PS one that's it's kind of funny and then actually a, a, a recommendation. He says, <clears throat> "P.S. If you had told me yesterday that today I'd be watching a really inspiring Brown Bunny discussion involving an actor from the Eternal Sega CD classic Night Trap, I wouldn't <laughs> have believed you. But lo and behold." <laughs> <laughs> also, you guys, and this is, this is the, the recommendation. You guys mentioned being on the lookout for more artsy, quote, adult films. And I'm still very fresh to the whole subculture. But I really love Sarno's Abigail Leslie is back in town with Jamie Gillis, who is a very fascinating person to me, and Ferrara's Nine Lives. If you guys know any other flicks in that vein, I would be super interested. Flicks in that vein. Come on, Zane. Come on. <laughs> okay uh have you seen either of those films i've seen both and they're both great uh all that joe sarno 70 steps amazing abigail leslie back in town is great um laura's toys is great um uh, confessions of a young american housewife is great like they feel if no one's seen them they're great they they feel like if igmar bergman made porn basically (laughs) and they're all shot like on these beautiful sad beaches of like long island or whatever and they're very, very good if you can find them. And then uh, the April Fair movie, The Nine Lives, that's Nine Lives of a Wet Pussycat. It's it's good. It's weird. It definitely has that Abel Ferreira feel to it. Um, it's, 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 it's a weird movie. It's, it's also worth checking out. So good recommendations. Yes. You disgusting pervert. No. <laughs> uh, no, no. <clears throat> I'm not trying to I'm not trying to slut shame your your film your film knowledge uh, i have not seen any of those films and so i feel inadequate as far as my own pervy credentials so i will be scouring the internet and then later on have a virus to clean off your computer <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. okay so uh so that's that's one letter thank you zane if you i, I encourage other people who have thoughts they want to share conversations they'd like us to dip into please send them to us at contact at the world is wrong podcast.com and uh, we have an, we have one more letter uh, yeah now uh this one this one <laughs> requires a little bit of extra hot sauce on it <laughs> i know this is uh i guess you call it hate mail it's it's an angry uh, letter it's an angry it's our letter. first it's our first angry letter uh, in response to our Three Stooges episode, and in particular, uh, our, uh, the conversation we had with our guest, Daniel Passer, uh, a, cl- a clown that we had on, a, per- a performer, an expert in slapstick, and they, you guys had a great conversation about a, a, a slapstick and around this great movie, the Fairly Brothers version of the Three Stooges, and uh, here's the letter. <clears throat> to whom it may concern... I write to you in a state of perfunctory petulance. When I heard on episode 44 of your podcast, your guest, Mr. Daniel Passer, accused me of being able to put my whole fist in my mouth. I was left agape. 
While over the years, Mr. Passer may have had ample opportunity to witness me placing numerous objects and or foodstuffs in my mouth, many of which may have been impressively large, I assure you and Mr. Passer that I, Amos Glick, have never been able to stick my whole fist in my mouth, ever! Either Mr. Passer is mistaken in his memory and is conflating me with some other professional idiot, or he is, in plain fact, a liar! In this case, I am sorry to inform you that not only is the world wrong, but indeed the podcast as well. Or, I'm sorry, the podcast is wrong. That being said, there is no doubt in my mind that Shemp was absolutely and by far the best stooge, period. I said good day, Amos Glick. Uh, and he's going to be really mad now because his name is actually pronounced Amos. So you called him, you pro- <laughs> not only did you did, was he already mad, but now you mispronounced his name twice. Uh, is it really Amos? <laughs> yes, Amos Glick. He, for fans of the WandaVision series, the Marvel series, may recognize Amos as the mailman. He played the mailman. I forget what his uh, actual name was, but he played the mailman who's trapped in Wanda world. So, uh, yeah, well, uh, <clears throat> I don't know how to respond to that. Um, <laughs> well, we're going to get another letter from him because I said his name wrong. You didn't tell me that it's pronounced a different way. Now, how would we go about, like, maybe he's just saying that. Like, we don't, I don't want to take him just at his word. Like, just because he says he can't put his whole hand in his mouth doesn't mean that he can't actually do it. And how would we prove it? Maybe he just feels a deep shame that he can. He's got a very you know? big, he's got a, a, a large mouth and, and tiny little <laughs> hands. <laughs> I can fit my whole fist in my mouth, and I'm very proud of saying that. Okay. Okay. So you, yeah. so here's the thing. It's easy to prove that someone can do it if they want <laughs> to, but it's hard to prove that someone can't do it if they don't want to. Because they could just well, do the, like, I can get it in here. I can not get it in. And they're like, open wide. Come on. I know you can get your hand in there almost. <laughs> you can probably get two hands in there. Well, I apologize that I said his name wrong. And I guess, should we apologize that he was falsely accused of a thing? I don't know. I feel like, like I want to see video of him not being able to get it in his mouth. And I want to witness there. They can, like, make sure that it's, like, he's not, yeah, yeah purposely making his mouth tiny well i think we're just gonna have to revisit <laughs> this episode and, and like this further on down the line might, might have to have almost on as a guest host uh, just as a, a yeah. ruse to get him in the room so that we can test the size of his his massive mouth <laughs> uh Awkward. So, yeah. This is very awkward. Yeah. I... So, uh, but well, on, let's get it onto some ground where, where maybe we can find some common ground here. Were you pleased that he uh, that he's a big fan of Shemp? Yeah. No. I mean, he's right. <laughs> he's the best dude. And I had a conversation about this with someone the other day. They were like, "Curly is clearly the best dude," and I'm like, "Well, you're not wrong on that, but you're not right." I mean. If you look at it, sure. Yeah, Curly is maybe the most enjoyable, the most loved, the most uh the the the, the most memorable, the most uh you know in pop culture, 
Maybe he is the most talented. Maybe he is the funniest one. Yet, Shemp is better. <laughs> so, you're all wrong. Shemp is the best. And, yeah. So, I agree with I agree with that. That, there is no proof needed. It's there. It's already there. Like, just watch a Three Stooges with Shemp. Done. Can Shemp fit his whole fist in his mouth? I don't know. I don't think he ever did that in any of the shorts. Yeah. I, I had the... the good fortune this summer to be uh, quarantining between my flight and the the place I was staying uh, <clears throat> at, a, at a place that had TCM, Turner Classic Movies, Ooh. and they did a whole day celebrating Abbott and Costello. Oh, and nice. During that day, I watched the film Buck Privates, which so good. featured yep. Shemp. As the chef, yeah, uh, and, he's in a bunch of their movies. But the standout for that one was the Andrews sisters, and really just oh, yeah. that one Andrews sister who is like the the standout. Uh, I I don't actually I don't know my Andrews sisters well enough to know which one it is. But if you watch it, there's one who clearly it's probably I'm not going to say which one. Never mind. But their version of Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy, I remember seeing it when I was a kid. I didn't remember it until I saw this. And I remember that at the time I saw that uh, that performance when I was a kid, I was it was one of those early foundational like, oh, music is special kind of moments. <laughs> in movies. So, Yeah, that's great. That's I love Abin Costello. I watching one right now that also has Shemp in it. So which one right now while we're recording? Um, not right now, but like today I started. It's called It Ain't Hey, based on a Damon Runyon story. And Shemp Howard plays like that good kind of Damon Runyon sort of wise guy gangster in it. So it's really so far very enjoyable. Yeah. Missed opportunity not having Shemp and guys and dolls. <laughs> he might have been dead by then. <laughs> so. No. Well, yeah. yeah, I guess he probably was because he died in the early 50s and that wasn't until like no. the late 50s. Great movie. <clears throat> okay, so right, well, those are our send letters. Us, send us send more. us more letters. Yeah, let's. Uh, yeah, the hate, the love. We may not read all the hate mail, but uh, you I know, will. I insist it on amusing. it. <laughs> we find it amusing or entertaining or informative. I don't feel like that was I, hate mail. That guy was protecting his reputation. That's Almost true. No, yeah, that's just a defense. It's a defense. Doesn't, doesn't want to get pigeonholed as a big-mouthed, little-handed man. Um, <laughs> if it if it doesn't if it's uh, if it's not obvious, Amos Glick is is a, a friend of mine, and I know him well. So all of uh, my it... ribbing is good natured. <clears throat> so he, uh, I'll go on. He he doesn't know me, so he could hate me for everything. He's not he's not he's not really a hater. He's just a he's just a loud. He just likes to he just likes to use a lot of exclamation points in his letters. <laughs> Andras here. When I'm not co-hosting the World is Wrong podcast, I'm hosting and producing the Radio 8-Ball podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random, like picking musical tarot cards. We've hosted musical divinations for people like John C. Riley, Patricia Arquette, Tignataro, and Fred Armisen, and hosted over 200 songwriters providing the randomly chosen answers from Inara George and Dan Byrne, 
to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8 Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store. He's Steve Lippman. And she's Candy Claire. And together we figure it out. Join us as we take on life's unanswered or overly answered questions. Our guests include comedians, healers, environmentalists, bake-off contestants, and some nonsense from our beloved intern, Dine. You can send us questions and hear them answered live on the podcast. A new episode every or every other Wednesday on Paper House Network. Dear listener, if you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at theworldiswrongpodcast. And now, back to the show. Uh, so... Well, now we come to a moment we have been teasing for <laughs> months. You may remember in our uh, Stephen Freer's episode, we kind of like sometimes in it's uh, if you if you're new to the podcast and you haven't listened to all of the first season, sometimes we're having an episode about a film and then some aspect of it the digression just gets so huge that we just decide to make that its own episode. And so we did that with Stephen Frears and I actually ended up watching most of the Stephen Frears films. Brian again, has a much busier schedule than I do. <laughs> and he had watched the ones that he'd watched and we talked about that. But one of the films that came up in that episode was the film hero or accidental hero as it was released in Europe and in England and it was a film that I was pretty critical of. I didn't think it was great, but I had a weird and sneaking suspicion that you might think it was great. And now you have seen this film. And so to wrap up this <laughs> season two intro episode, we're going to do a, a, a little mini exploration slash celebration of Stephen Freer's Accidental Hero. So, Brian, what's the verdict? Um, I didn't oh. like it. <laughs> <laughs> so we pulled up Geraldo's uh, Al Capone's vault on you, Oh, jeez. Because uh, you know what? I started yeah, yeah. to like it. <laughs> uh, I really liked the first 45 minutes. Like, In fact, I would say I loved the first 45 minutes. Um, Dustin Hoffman, for those who don't know the plot of this movie, Dustin Hoffman plays this sort of... <sighs> criminal bad guy but not like he's more of like a like a crip like a guy would steal a pack of gum kind of bad guy or like kind of take take money when someone isn't looking out of a tip jar sort of guy like just sort of an all-around kind of bitter hate-filled man nobody really likes him he's just sort of like he's very much kind of pulling from his ratto rizzo sort of performance in terms of look and behavior and this person stumbles upon a plane crash and begrudgingly saves all the passengers on board while also still stealing from them. And then he decides he's done and goes home. And Andy Garcia, who plays a down on his luck homeless type guy who picked up a hitchhiking Dustin Hoffman, 
takes the credit for saving all these people. And then, of course, Desmond Hoffman is really bitter about it. And Gina Davis plays this sort of uh, <clears throat> newscaster, sensational, sort of like a more more like a paparazzi, not paparazzi, but more like a Hollywood, just like a, you know, like bullshit current affair hard copy sort of not not a real news reporter but a sens sensationalizing the news sort of news reporter and she is in the plane and she's also doing the story blah 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 and it's sort of this take on sort of a frank capra sort of thing trying to do like a little bit like a mr deeds or uh, some of those sort of early like 40s late 30s kind of screwball comedies but also have that kind of touching humanity thing or like some of that Preston Sturgis stuff um but the first 45 minutes I thought I really liked you have all these weird scenes in the newsroom with Chevy Chase talking really fast and they're very much like the scenes in Hot Soccer Proxy made two years after this mm -hmm. or very like, they felt very Sam Raimi or like the scenes that he did in the Spider-Man movies with J.K. Simmons mm -hmm. uh and I really like the actors and I really like the characters. And then Andy Garcia shows up and the movie falls apart so quickly and it doesn't work and the movie doesn't know what it is and I did not enjoy it. <laughs> well, then... <laughs> it, 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 it totally did itself a... Dis, it, 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 like what it was advertised as, the movie was not. And so what I always thought this movie was about for the last 20-something years, it, it actually isn't. And so I, th I think, I mean, I watched it with my wife and she kind of agreed with me that like, so basically like for this movie to really work as it's trying hard to be a satire, I guess, like on like the media of the 90s and how news is made and our ideas of heroes or, you know, people that, you know, whatever. But like it, but it ultimately doesn't work. Like they don't hold up their end of the bargain to make this this premise work. They blew it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, well, let's talk about the Andy Garcia thing because I had that same. I had a similar experience too, and it's strange because I like Andy Garcia. I Me particularly too. around this era. He was on a really great run. I mean, his work in I think it's eight million. It's eight million ways to die. Mm -hmm. In uh, that, he's great in that. He's amazing in the Untouchables. Yeah, he is probably the best thing in Godfather Three. Yep, yep. And then, why is he so wrong for this? Well, well, I think it's not his fault. It's the I think it's the writing. The movie doesn't know what it is at this point because, like, the theme that it's trying to go for, they don't go for it. Because, like, what to make this movie work, and this is weird because I feel we never do this on the show because we always pick movies that we love that nobody else likes. This is, like, new to me on the show to, like, to pick a part of a movie that I'm not enjoying. But we're just going to do it anyways. <laughs> so, like, for the movie to work, the character that Andy Garcia is playing... So here, here's how it goes wrong in the movie. So he comes forward and takes the credit and you're like, oh, that's terrible. Oh, how ironic that the terrible man is the real one who saved it. And this guy who's really, the, like, this nice guy is the one who's actually lying and he's a terrible person. But they make the character, they try to make the character likable and they make him immediately regret coming forward and feeling bad about it and feeling guilty about it. And it's like, 
And the whole time that's happening, I'm like, what are you doing, movie? This is wrong. You're, you're messing with your own themes. You don't even know what this movie's about. Because for it to work, you need someone who comes forward. Andy Garcia could totally work. Handsome, charismatic man. Like, a t- like just you go the opposite of Dustin Hoffman. You have a tall, dashing man. And you have him seem really nice and taking the credit. But in fact, he's a, he is the actual terrible person. And what's so but crazy movie doesn't is, that, do that. <laughs> is that in just like cinematically in cine, in cinema time, it's two seconds later, Hollywood's going to figure out that Andy Garcia is a heavy and he's only and he's And anytime he shows up, he's going to be the bad guy in so many yeah. movies coming coming after this. But in this moment, someone was in there. <clears throat> someone was in there fighting for no Andy Garcia has to be good <laughs> a romantic sympathetic leading man it feels like the of studio interference because it seems like the movie for it to work needed this char- his character to be the, an actual bad person like it needed to be the charismatic person that everyone he needed to be like a Bob Roberts like he needed to be someone that everyone is really loving but then when you think for a second what he's actually saying or doing he's a really evil guy and then that juxtaposed with Dustin Hoffman, who everyone thinks is shitty, who actually in his core is really good. That makes for a satire that works. You know, this it's, movie it's, doesn't do that. Well, you know what's funny? <laughs> it's is, infuriating. Well, it's broadcast news. <laughs> broadcast news does it right. Right? The William Hurt really nails that. He may be one of the best performances of someone who is supposed to be liked and a nice guy on the outside out on the outside but is a superficial creep on the inside and being able to play both of those things but yeah this film isn't up to it the Mm-mm. the one thing i've been thinking of since i knew we were going to be discussing this i recently listened to the tcm podcast about bonfire of the vanities uh devil's mm. candy uh, devil's candy and i feel like so I went back and watched Bonfire of the Vanities, and I feel like I could describe it the same way you describe Accidental Hero. And I kind of thought of them similarly. Like these they are have films things, yeah. that want to be satires, but they're too big to be able to do that. They're too big, yeah. not just in the sense that they're the production is too big, but it doesn't feel like the like that satire. I don't know. It just, it just, there's some tone that's missing. And for a satire to work, the tone has to be solid all the way through. You can't yeah. be a phony making fun of phonies. Then you just, <laughs> you know, it just falls apart. And I feel like both this and Bonfire of the Vanities, they start off, well, I feel like Bonfire of the Vanities starts off much stronger and falls much harder. Whereas this <laughs> one, doesn't start as strong. I'm not as much in love, but I could see this is what I, I, I love talking with you about this because part of what this podcast is about for me, as much as it's, as it's exploring films, it's exploring the taste of someone who I respect, but don't always agree with. And so I've got this like room in my mind that are like, Oh, well this is what Brian likes. And there are <laughs> things in this, like the Chevy chase stuff that I was like, Oh Yeah. But he'll like this. But then at the same time, when someone likes things that you don't like as much, then it's hard to calibrate. It's like, oh, well, he's going to really like all this stuff. But then as you talk about it, it's like, oh, yeah, it makes sense that you don't like where it went and that you went off the rails with Andy Garcia the same way I did, 
in a way that in another movie, I feel like you are going to just be like, oh, I'm just going to hang with this, you know, character <laughs> that turns me off. So it's just another it's, it's another part of this will be season two of me <laughs> learning about you, Brian. You are my I, I accidental think, hero. But I do think the movie's worth watching because, as always, Dustin Hoffman is brilliant in it. Like, I really like his character. His performance is great. Yeah. It's as always, it's just a very lived in character. It just it's like he's a brilliant. He's always brilliant. And. There's some good little character actors in the movie, like Stephen Tobolowsky and a few others, and like that. Joan fun. Cusack. Joan Cusack. She is very yeah. I, yeah her character, I really. Oh, I think unless you're Paul Verhoeven, you you can't make a satire for like this much money with this many famous people in it. It just doesn't work. You can't. I don't know. It's just like it's very hard to do. You have to be someone who's very cynical. Like thing is, Stephen first can do it. I feel like no, I, not in America. Made, in, not in America. But I mean, I think High Fidelity works. Like to me, that movie's a satire in a way, and it makes fun of a certain type of people, and it's really well done. But that's a much smaller movie, even though it has John Cusack in it. It's it still feels it has this kind of indie feel to it. But like this movie, it's just too big. It's just too, it's just too much money behind it. How much satire can you, like, how can you make fun of people when you're all having like steak dinners? I don't well, know. Well, that's <laughs> why I actually, I, I love that you brought up the Verhoeven thing. Cause that's exactly what I was trying to get at. Like his, you know, that he is every step of the way. He knows that what the, where the satire is coming from and yeah. whether he's completely on the money, like Starship Troopers or he's completely off the money like Showgirls. The reason that a film like Showgirls finds an audience over time is because it is consistently what it is. Even yeah. if, you know, and so it may all be bad choices, but they're all bad choices based upon this one compass. And as a viewer, that is a that's kind of a rare and excellent place to be where Yeah a great filmmaker sets their compass to something that will just never work. But <laughs> if Coppola's doing it in One from the Heart or Verhoeven's doing it in Showgirls or like maybe in a, some might say Mike Nichols does with Wolf, you know, there's a way that if you can tune yourself to that, to that off compass, well, you're going to have a great ride. I mean, yeah. you're, you're not paying for it, right? I mean, yeah. if I had to pay for Showgirls, I'd feel differently. If I had to carry it around like Kyle MacLachlan had to for a while, that's that's probably no fun. But as a viewer, great movie, yeah. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I think this feels like Stephen Frears out of his element. Doesn't feel like a movie of his at all. And yeah, I just don't think anyone involved really knew what this movie was or they all had different ideas or i don't know it just feels like very much like bonfire the vanities where it's like this could have been something you have you have the kernel there but you didn't you just didn't point it in the right direction (laughs) oh well oh well yeah yeah well um well so that's uh i i you know even when i think the the thing about going i think it's okay to be critical Critical isn't the same thing as being negative. We, you know, we're, and I think that's where the conversation can, that's what we're going to try and be doing in season two is just continue to do that, to have this conversation where 
we love film enough that when there's like that just gave us an opportunity to sing the praises of Showgirls and Paul Verhoeven. And that's <laughs> I think in a way that's kind of if if the stakes weren't so high as Stephen Frears and Brian De Palma and Paul Verhoeven were all in the room, I think they'd probably all agree. You know, maybe not about other great Brian De Palma films or other great Stephen Frears films, but these two films compared to someone who was trying to do a similar thing, even with Showgirls, and really, if you're going to fail, then, and this is maybe the lesson to take from it, if you're going to fail, then really, then don't compromise. Do the, do the failure. Make popular <laughs> movies, okay? Uh, <clears throat> so... Uh, that's our, our season two introduction. Uh, we have some uh, some exciting, just a little bit of show business that's that's coming up. You'll hear in season two, I made a little uh, jingle, a spoilers jingle. I'll play it right now. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. <laughs> it's very similar to they might be giants <laughs> yeah well yeah exactly it's, it's a parody a, well it's a it's a little it's a little reference figure that there's a I, I imagine that there's got to be a crossover between the world is wrong listeners and they might be giants uh, <laughs> anyway great uh, band uh that's we, good <laughs> so that'll that'll you'll be hearing that in the upcoming season you can also we against our better judgment we have decided to uh, start a Twitter account. It's at World Is Wrong Pod, and uh, so if you want to follow us there, you can. Of course, we will continue posting on Instagram at at the World Is Wrong Podcast, and you can find us at our website, which is the World Is Wrong Podcast dot com, and you can contact us at contact at the world is wrong podcast and uh, the world is wrong podcast.com. And as we said, coming up next week, we're going to be exploring the film Frank, which spoiler alert, Brian actually likes. And, uh, <laughs> and you can hear how much he likes it. I'm not going to tell you how much he might like it just a little bit. He might like it a lot. Don't tell him, Brian, let's keep the listeners in suspense. Uh, no. and so, uh, and so, but the point is, he likes it. I like it. You'll probably like it too. It's not a hard film to find. So go seek it out so you can en fully enjoy that conversation. And Brian, season two, here yeah. we go. Buckle up. <laughs> Get ready. It's going to be a wild <laughs> ride. <laughs> Woo! All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you're you you you're playing it deadpan as if I'm Vincent Gallo trying to get you into my van. That's not the that's not the <laughs> film I was going for. But okay, it's okay. Uh, so well, uh, thank you if you've uh, followed us this far, and we look forward to sharing many great films with you in the coming year. And the whole time, I just want you to keep it right at the forefront of your mind that wherever you are, the world is wrong and it's probably wrong about you hi i'm brian and i'm aj and we have a podcast called the director's wall examining a filmmaker's career film by film 
First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform.